So, you want to lose weight. Well, you've come to the right place. We unpack this minefield of a topic, giving you the information you need to take action and optimize your fat loss journey. We start by exploring the basics of fat and weight loss, as there is a difference, and why some of you might struggle to lose fat more than others. We're not making excuses for you, simply bringing awareness to potential barriers so that you can go forward and navigate them, because, as we do say in the episode, you cannot change what you are not aware of. We then fire through a ton of practical steps you can take to help you lose fat and keep it off. And then we finish by discussing the responses you guys gave to our Instagram polls. Much like last week's, it's another long one, but it's all worth hearing because if I let you in on a little behind the scenes secret, I do cut out quite a bit, especially extra stuff that's unnecessary, so unnecessary waffle, etc. But just know that if it's been kept in, it's because it's either entertaining or it's super useful. So let's get you losing weight and let's help you keep it off. Here he comes. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> you record when you're ready. It's already fucking recorded. Are you recording, are we? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, brilliant. We're getting what? somewhere. What are you fucking wearing? Well, I had to dress smart because I have a, a meeting with Netflix later on. <laughs> oh, we're still going to Netflix, are we? Still carrying with that fucking story arc. You've got a meeting, yeah. have you? I've you got a new got TV show, so... I do have mean down. It is, uh, yep, in a couple of hours, I shall have my oh, meeting. Fuck off, is that Netflix. a pocket watch? Is that a fucking pocket watch? Uh, my new idea <laughs> is um, basically it'll be a reality TV show where cameras follow me around. I'll be wearing a high vis jacket yep. and uh, carrying a ladder under my armpit. And basically, I'll just be trying to get into different places and seeing uh, how far I can get with it. So we could start off small. I could go to somewhere like Asda, and because uh, they say, didn't they? Like as long as you're wearing a high vis jacket and carrying a ladder, you can get in anywhere. No one's going to stop you. They're just going to assume you're working there. Is the um is the ladder made of cake? Could be. We can combine shows. Combine shows. Season two. Season be a two. Bit of crossover. Uh, but yeah, uh, we can <laughs> start off small to places like Asda, maybe like an Argos. You know, just just see how far I get with it. And obviously, as like things go along. Eventually, I'm trying to get into installations like Porton Down, you know, secure military bases, uh, Parliament. I'm so confused right now. Do you, do you even wear glasses? IFS. Eventually, I could try and get in for the IFS for you know non-violent reasons. I just want to. Sh- I just want to say that. Yeah, it'll be for non-violent reasons. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put. Oh, what the fuck is that? I don't even know what to say, mate. You know what the- it's legal. Do you know what the irony of this is, mate? Is that someone spoke to me today saying that the start of last week's episode wasn't enough, there wasn't enough chaos. And I, I didn't even tell you that. I didn't even inform you of this. Yet you've decided to just fucking go completely. I mean, if you're not, right, if you're not following us on Instagram, get over there now because this this clip is going to go on there because this is, I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. Are you not hot in that? Why? Are you not hot in that? This is just a normal day for me. A normal day? You're wearing a fucking shirt and tie and glasses. I've never seen you in glasses. And you've got a fucking drink that's like, why is that stick? Why has it got so much smoke? smart, haven't I? But why have you got a drink that's got so much smoke coming out of it? What is that? As I said, there's nothing illegal in it. That's all you've got to know. Yeah, but that don't, don't, me... don't worry about it. Yeah, but that suggests that there is something the illegal. The less in it. you know, no, 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 no. For your own safety, for your own safety, the less you know, the better. Yeah, but you're saying that there's nothing illegal in it, which suggests there probably is something illegal in it. Yeah, I'm going to take this glass off because they're hurting my fucking eyes. Uh, uh, whose are they? 
And uh, I, I must admit, I must break character and say I'm roasting. They're my reading glasses. They're my reading glasses. Listen, since I've uh, since I've left my management role, I've got like all these papers to catch up on. Oh, That's wow. a lot of reading, so I require my reading glasses now. Yeah, fair enough, mate. I'm an old man. I'm getting old. Are you going to get changed? Or are you my gonna old wear... age of 26. You're going to wear that the whole podcast? I'm, I'm, g- I'm just going to have to wear it for the whole podcast, but it is roasting. And because like, it's the sun shining through the window, I've put a towel on the window and had to close the window. It's fucking roasting. This is it brilliant. Is hot. Honestly. But you know, you... I'm a method actor. I'm a method actor. That's, um... <laughs> well, there you go, Jack. Um, maybe not an audio format <laughs> because I'm fully aware that this has been a... Um, a visual bit of chaos that you obviously are listening on an audio format but um yeah instagram youtube check out the links in the uh, in the show notes and um have a look because fucking hell i did not expect that anyway let's move on with the episode tom because it's another big one last week we said to you you know you want to start the gym we helped you start the gym now we're getting a little bit more specific um and we're going to ask you well we're not going to ask you we're going to help you hopefully lose some weight when it comes to fitness weight loss isn't a prerequisite you can get lots of different health and fitness adaptations without having to worry about weight loss. However, this whole episode is dedicated for those that want to lose weight or, or lose fat at least. And we're hoping to bring it from a sensible standpoint because when it comes to weight loss, especially in this industry, there's a lot of, um, let's say, bullshit and pseudoscience. As you just sort of alluded to there, I think we should really start by establishing that there is a difference between weight and fat loss. And it's really important that you understand this for your own yeah. expectations as we go forward, because both fat and weight will fluctuate. That's that's true. But weight can fluctuate very regularly. And if you use the number you see on the scales, let's say you weigh yourself every day, because of this fluctuation in weight, you're going to be in for a bit of a rough ride emotionally, I'd say. Um, and an obvious example I can give of this is, let's say you gain five pounds of muscle, but you lose five pounds of fat. The number on the scales is probably going to be pretty disappointing, okay. And you, but in reality, that's actually a really impressive sort of thing you've done there. You've gained five pounds of muscle and lost five pounds of fat. But the scales will tell a different story. And the reason for things like that is, you know, water weight that can fluctuate loads. You have a big carb meal, so let's say you have a massive, I don't know, you have four kilos of rice. Yep. Each gram of carbs, if you didn't know this, fun fact uh, on this week's episode. Each gram of carb can retain three grams of water. So you imagine if you have lots of carbs, I'm not saying carb, obviously carbs are fantastic, yeah. but I'm saying if you smash loads of carbs, you're going to retain a bit more water, which means if you were then to weigh yourself, you might have a little bit more weight on the scales, which doesn't mean you've gained fat, it just means you retain more water. And speaking of water retention as well, if you're a woman, you can also retain more water during your period. That's something that can happen. Um, and speaking of period, other reasons women might gain weight during the period is because there tends to be overeating slash cravings. That's quite a common uh, thing that happens when we're, women, have, you know, it's their, their time of the month. Um, and there's also one that people don't think about is limited activity. Sometimes, obviously I'm speaking this from a bloke's point of view, I have no idea what it feels like, but obviously women have cramps, don't they? During their period. This can sometimes for some be quite I've bad. I've had a cramp before. <laughs> it could be quite bad that you don't even want to go to the gym. So during that time, you have limited activity. Yeah. So all these things added together is another reason why women during their period could have excess weight during that time. But that does not mean they've gained excessive amounts of fat. Keyword there being could as well. It's not a non-negotiable. It's not like, uh, oh, you're definitely going to experience these symptoms. Like uh, it's just that it is it is a possibility. Uh, hormones can fluctuate yeah. either way. Um, but yeah, like exactly as you said, like weight isn't necessarily body fat. I mean, it, it is a part of it, but weight can fluctuate due to many things. As you said, there's water, there's all sorts, there's bone density as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I know it sounds gross, but literally like whether you've taken a dump, you know, yeah. like uh, there's all different managers to why you would 
hold on to weight and why well, you might lose it as well. So, you know, like when you sweat, you might weigh less, etc. You know, but in general, it is useful to track weight. However, it's actually fat loss we're looking for here, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. The point the point really we're trying to make there, this little uh, chaotic intro, you could say, is that weight can fluctuate quite a bit. And it tends to be more obvious because it's like because it fluctuates so much, it's obvious to see on the scales. Whereas fat loss, it's not exactly linear, but it's more controlled and gradual, and it's sometimes hard to notice. And this is where expectations come in as we're, as we're going to come on to. Exactly that. Weight isn't linear. It fluctuates up and down. So question is, where do you start? Well, firstly, you need to manage your expectations, as we've kind of already said there. Um, and the way me and Tom are going to present this information in today's episode is a way that hopefully... Uh, you'll be able to sustain and not feel like shit. Okay, so avoid this mindset of, you know, 12 pounds in 12 weeks, summer transformation in two months. This is not the sort of stuff that me and Tom advocate. We know we don't push for this kind of approach when it comes to fat loss. Some people do. So we're not saying those approaches don't work, uh, but often those results don't really last. Uh, and most of the time, the professionals who you know push for those yeah. transformation courses, whatever you want to call them, is simply to get a nice photo or to get a nice testimonial of you and your, you know, your wedding bod or your beach bod for the summer, whatever. Um, but that's not the approach we're going to take today because we don't think it, you know, we don't recommend it really. I mean, one of the biggest issues I do have with like the the twelve week programs, the six week programs, whatever you want to call them, is that it's nowhere near a long enough time period for you to have the, the ups and downs of actually learning the process of successful weight loss or even maintaining it. As you said, it's just a, a rapid enough transformation to basically get a picture out of it or to give the illusion of, oh, wicked, you're now set up for success. Don't get me wrong, you might get the odd person that might find success in it, but it's for successful long-term weight loss, to do it safely as well, it's, it's a lifestyle change. And that doesn't come in just a couple of weeks. It's a long old process. And another thing is by instantly saying 12 pounds in 12 weeks, let's say, for example, straight away you're guaranteeing results, which is always a recipe for disaster because there could be several reasons as to why you might not lose weight at first unless you've been put on a starvation diet and your calories have been very tightly controlled on the other end, you know, by said trainer or coach. You know, what's going to happen if you don't manage to lose that pound in your first week? You're going to feel like a failure and it's not your fault. It's just so happens that you fall into this pitfall of you've been guaranteed results when, you know, results ain't always guaranteed. It's an up and down process, I'm afraid. It's not going to, just like how weight loss isn't linear, neither is your success in regards to, you know, oh, am I successfully going to lose weight every week? It's not the case. Uh, and the reason really for that, I suppose, one of the reasons is that we are all very different and there's going to be some things that do impact your journey. And something we have spoke about before, Tom, many a time in the past, we haven't spoken about it too much recently, is socioeconomic factors. Uh, and I'll give you some examples here, just so if just to, you know, uh, cast your minds back. Uh, we've got things like education, employment, income, family and social support, community safety. Uh, safety. These are all things that can, can impact it. If you were to Google it now, like a socioeconomic chart or something, there's going to be, you know, you'll see it's fucking absolute chaos. And I know, Tom, it's something you've looked into quite uh, quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you know what? In any kind of, whether it be weight loss or a health-promoting behaviour, you need to have what is called like a, a supportive environment. Now, what I mean by that is that you need to, it needs to almost be as effortless as possible. You should have been in an environment that supports you in your journey, whether it be getting healthy or in this case, you know, losing weight. You can't just say, "Oh, you need to be motivated." You, you, you want to, you have to have, you have to want it. In order to lose weight, you have to want it. I mean, yeah, motivation does help, but motivation is also f finite. 
it's not an infinite resource. So you need to have like a supportive environment that's going to try and make it almost as effortless as possible. And look, it's not going to be completely effortless. There is going to be effort involved, but you don't want it to be so every day it has to be a massive effort to try and lose weight. So when we talk about socioeconomic status, there's going to be some things that are going to be within our locus of control. You know, so if we have the, so you saw my story earlier, I spoke about privilege a little bit, but here we have the privilege that we're in like a really well-paying job and we've got the hours that where we can actually dedicate some hours to the gym or to some form of uh, exercise class. Great, straight away, we've got an environment that kind of promotes that, that can help us. You know, if we have access to nutritious, high, you know, uh, volume vegetable foods, you know, etc. once again, we're in like a, an environment that is supporting that. If you've got a partner who's willing to cook for you and make you these meals when you come home from work, once again, you're in a supportive environment. But then we're going to be in situations where that's not quite within our control. So you might be in like a, an area that's deprived of food resources where it's going to help you in your weight loss journey. Or you might find that your only source of exercise, because you can't afford the gym, is to go out and walk. However, you might have a job where you don't finish until late in the evening and you might not feel comfortable going and doing 10,000 steps at night as most most coaches are probably going to tell you to do. So once again, that's kind of like out of your control because you, you can't really control like, oh, well, actually, I'm going to go for a walk earlier. You might be able to if you want to get up at 6am, go for it. But once again, motivation is finite for that. But do you see what I mean by you need to be in an environment where it supports it as much as possible? And that's where socioeconomic status comes into it it plays a big role, but a lot of socioeconomic statuses are actually out of our control. I'm going to just fast forward a bit, so uh, a bit of a spoiler here. We were going to do some Instagram polls then, which we are still going to do, but there was one that really just, I was thinking about it as you were talking there, Tom. I mean, someone sent in, when you are eating really healthy, doing really well, but the rest of the household are eating junk. So that is a prime example of... An in supportive environment. There you go. You're, there is a lack of a supportive environment there because you're doing your best. But when everyone around you is doing the opposite, it's very, very difficult to stay motivated and stay on track. Yeah, 100%. And that's not like your, your, your family being cruel fuckers, you know, anything like that. However, it is still like difficult, isn't it? When you're trying to say avoid hyper-processed foods or, and I've had this with many a client before, where they're trying to make more nutritional choices, let's say, but then their partner will say to them, I'm getting a takeaway. Do you want anything? And if you've had a bit of a rough day at work or whatever, or just the thought of, oh shit, a takeaway. I've not had a takeaway in ages. Straight away, it's going to be a lot rougher, isn't it? It's going to be quite hard to say no. And I know, I know we, I think, I think you mentioned this a little bit in your story as well, Tom, is that there's a lot of people who, who would listen to this little segment on socioeconomic factors and will just say that we're being soft and we're making excuses for other people. And that really pisses me off a little bit. I don't know if you, that was something you kind of spoke about, wasn't it? Yeah. I think I've actually mentioned something similar before where like, um, so what we're doing there is we're just recognizing barriers hmm. as well. We're recognizing that there's going to be things that are going to make losing weight difficult for us. Mm -hmm. Now, sitting down and contemplating these factors it isn't weakness. It's just sitting down and saying like, okay, look, chances are I might come across this. This is going to be a problem for me. Okay, so what can I do to get around that? Awareness. It's no good realising that something's a problem and yeah, like having awareness that actually this is probably going to not support my environment for losing weight or any kind of you know fitness kind of uh, goal you want to kind of get to. But... I think it's uh, Albert Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. 
So that is what we're doing by trying to recognize these barriers. We're trying to actually say, okay, here's a barrier. What can we do the next time we come across this? Uh, in, in fact, I know you want to talk about behavior change a little bit later on. I'm going to quickly fast forward a little bit. But um, the guy who I did my course with, uh, Dr. Gary Mendoza, who I'd love to get on the podcast at some point, to be honest with you, mm. um, he has an acronym called RAP. And no, that's not what you think it is. We're not going to start busting out iced tea. No, but sure. RAP is basically an acronym. It stands for relapse. We'll see what happens, Bill, in the future. Not when I'm suited, not in this outfit. Uh, it stands for relapse, assessing, and then planning. So what I mean by that is eventually, chances are you are going to relapse in your weight loss journey. And that's absolutely f fine. What you then do, though, is once you've relapsed, you actually assess, well, how comes this actually happened? What got me to this point where I've actually fallen back a little bit? And then you plan. Well, what can I do to make sure that I don't get to this point again? Or perhaps I can have a plan so that I can actually preempt when I'm about to relapse and actually prevent the relapse from happening in the first place. And this is where kind of recognizing barriers comes into it because you can almost preempt, well, shit, what about if, um, well, one barrier might be, well, I can't do much um, walking or exercise at this time of the day because I've got childcare. That's not you making an excuse. That's you saying, okay, this is going to be something that's going to prevent me from moving and being physically active on that day. So what can I do to get around that? Is it a simple case where, okay, is there some way I can get childcare? Do I have a family member that can kind of help here? Or is it one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if my goal is weight loss and I know that I'm not going to be physically active on that day, maybe I can kind of cut back on my calories a little bit on that day instead. So that way I'm still going to be in some form of deficit. Do you see what I mean? So we're, we're, we're wrapping, we're relapsing, but then we're actually assessing what happened and then we're planning ahead. But you need to understand that there are going to be barriers and you need to kind of figure out, well, how am I going to get around them? Rather than just banging your head against that wall and wondering why nothing's changing. It's not weakness. I think I used this analogy before where I said it's like, you know, if, if you go into a, a war zone and you lose a battle, you don't just go, oh, shit, well, we just keep on throwing. It's not the fucking First World War where we just keep on throwing blokes over the trench and hoping for the best. We just stop and go, why is this not working? You know, reassess what's going on and then put a new plan into action to get around that barrier. And that's when you send in the A10s. We'll get a bit more practical with it because that was the whole idea of this this series. That was just kind of just give you a little bit of a background about why weight loss, fat loss isn't linear and why it's different for everyone else. But if we get practical with it now, obviously the thing you see all over the internet is calorie deficit, calorie deficit, calorie deficit. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's not that simple, but it's obviously, it is obviously the main mechanism you could say behind weight loss or fat loss, I should say. That is something we probably should have started. No, I was just going to say, it's probably something we should have started every episode with is like, how does weight loss actually work? Um... It all comes down to what is known as energy balance. Mm -hmm. You might build. You have in a moment. That's right. I'm just fucking. Is it your jacket potato? Which, don't let's not talk about my jacket potato, mate. All right. Let's leave. Let's leave the jacket out of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but weight loss comes down to something called energy balance. Basically, if you consume more energy than what you burn, you will gain weight or slash fat. Mm -hmm. If you burn more energy than what you consume, then you will lose weight and eventually fat. If you're consuming roughly the same amount of energy as what you're burning throughout the day, then you'll kind of maintain your weight. But it, it does come down to energy balance. Energy in this case being calories yeah. or food. 
Notice I've said nothing about insulin or any of this other weird ketogenic yeah, we'll, conspiracy uh, theory. We'll come shit. on to that. We'll come on to that um, later. It right? does come down to <laughs> calories in, calories out. However, weight loss isn't as simple as all you need to worry about is seco. That is the mechanism as to which it happens by seco, calories in versus calories out. But it's a lot more complicated than that. I'm afraid to say. So what we're going to do now, guys, is we are going to talk about tracking. Okay, now. Do you have to track absolutely everything? Not really. But initially, when you first start, it does help. Now, it comes back to something of you cannot, this is a saying, I think it was Rory actually mentioned this on a podcast recently, not just long ago. It's a, you can't change what you're not aware of. So by becoming aware of what you're actually eating initially, you, you, you can then make changes because you're aware of what you're actually doing, right? Um, so the first step you really need to take is establishing your TDEE, which is your total daily energy expenditure. This will kind of give you an idea of what, as Tom said, how much energy you're actually expending during the day. Um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to quickly fire up something called, uh, it's the Harris, fucking something, whatever it's called, Harris equation or something like that, Benedict, Harris-Benedict equation as well. The Harris, the Harris-Benedict-Cumberbatch equation. Yeah, that thing. So oh, it's going to show you easy. So if you just Google it, the first link will probably come up. It'll be something like Omni Calculator. You go on there. It's really fucking simple to use. It will tell you to put your weight in. So I'll put my weight in. Okay, so 90 kilos. Uh, height, whatever, you, whatever the height you want to go, centimeters, meters, whatever. Age, then ask for your sex. Um, then, then at that point, um, there'll yes, be an please. advanced mode you can click. If you click that, it will tell you, it will ask you to put your energy, uh, sort of your activity you do. Okay. Um, an activity I would do is, let's say, it gives you little to no exercise, light exercise, one to two times a week, moderate exercise, two to three times, hard, four to five, physical job or hard, six to seven, or professional athlete. Okay. Um, I'd probably say we'll go hard exercise four to five times a week. Okay. Modest. This is now telling me my BMR. Okay, is 2,037 calories, but my total energy expenditure is 3,500, which is quite a lot. That's how much, like, as a baseline. So if I was to eat that every day, according to this, and if I was being honest, because you'll be honest with these things, guys, if you'll be, a lot of people overestimate yes. how much activity they do, which we'll talk about in a sec with, like, tracking watches and stuff, but let's say 3,514. If I eat that every day, my weight will not change. If I eat more than that, over time, I will gain weight. If I eat less than that, I will lose weight. Obviously, there's going to be context we talk about. There are a lot of um, factors which come into play here, but that's the basics of it. Once you've got that number established, you've then got something to work with. Okay, then when you do your little tracking initially to see where you are, you can then be aware of, okay, this is how many calories I'm actually eating a day. This is what this calculator is telling me. Where am I currently sitting? And if you're struggling with your weight, you're probably going to see that you're eating more than what your maintained baseline is according to this calculator. Oh, Tom, did you mute yourself? Uh, ages ago I did. I'm fine now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear... Oh, sorry, How mate. How far you... is it? Yeah, I had you muted the whole time. I wonder why you weren't laughing at my comments. But yeah, getting back on track, um, like uh, you, you can find like a lot of calorie calculators online. But yeah, you get different kind of formulas. But to be honest with you, like, they all kind of put you within the same kind of ballpark. But yeah, you do need to kind of be honest with like, well, you need to be honest when you're putting things like your current weight and your height. And you definitely need to be honest when you kind of estimate your activity levels. But yeah, most people do kind of like, personally speaking, overestimate how much activity they're doing. That's what you need to be careful of because if you do overestimate, obviously your numbers are going to be completely wrong. Another thing that we should probably talk about is a lot of people on this weight loss journey or fat loss, I probably should say, is fitness watches and stuff. 
and the discrepancies in calories burned because not only are these watches inaccurate really the differences between them are also fucking crazy yeah i know a lot of people that have like an apple watch and they might have like a whoop as well both of those devices will tell you different things and we, we've seen numbers up to like 300 calories difference yeah. Tom? Like, and that's fucking that's a big difference that's the, that's the difference between a deficit and not they're notoriously inaccurate so i would not be eating back the calories gained from that so for example some uh some of you might kind of want to use an, a calorie tracking app so something like my fitness power etc is the more common one and usually you can kind of link stuff like that to your apple watch your fitbit whatever you have and sometimes it'll so those kind of apps will give you like a calculated calorie intake depending on the details you put in however sometimes they might give you more calories back because you've burned so many on your fitness tracker um, usual advice, and I would agree with it, is to not eat back the calories gained on those apps because it's, yeah, your, your fitness trackers are notorious for overestimating calories burned. Like an example, mate, I've been for a run before and it told me I've burnt like 900 calories on a fucking steady state run. I'm like, have I fuck burnt 900 calories <laughs> doing a fucking yeah. like five, six mile jog? Um, it's, a, it's, it's not happening. No. It's not happening. Um, so yeah, uh, if we now move on, so we've got that baseline figure. Let's say I got my 3,500 from my, my little fucking Harris Benedict Cumberbatch, whatever the fuck you want to call it, <laughs> calculator. We now need to talk about how I would then lose weight from that position, okay, from that situation. Um, and if you heard our recent episode, I'll say recent, well, it depends obviously when you're listening to this, our episode with Rini McGregor, really good episode recommend you go and listen to that um we discussed the importance of not going too hard on yeah. the deficit and the deficit we sort of came up with was around 200 and that tends to be the most appropriate especially people like myself there with the active lifestyle because if you start going more than that your body doesn't tend to like it um and you start that's this is when people start to run into that trap of feeling fucked all the time when they're going to hard heavy deficits yeah and this is why people don't normally maintain or sustain their weight loss journey because let's be honest if you feel like shit if you feel tired all the time why on earth would you want to stick with that yeah also i think it's just like it's too much of a massive dramatic change don't get me wrong i do think you can in in some circumstances you can go a little bit more uh, aggressive with a deficit um it would depend on like your current size as well but yeah your activity levels are going to play a big factor in that as well especially if we don't want to see like a big drop off in performance but the, the key term here is slow and steady we want it to be slow and steady but i know like obviously with weight loss people want to see the results very rapid but honest to god like slow and steady does win the race in this case you you want to be able to build habits uh, and a lifestyle change that you can facilitate over time Whereas if you just like crash diet in the first week, it's going to be very, very hard to sustain. So yeah, slow and steady, 200, 300 calorie deficit, not a bad way to go. Like when weight loss is done properly and you kind of change your food environment and increase your activity to a sensible level. Now it's like I said sensible. Let's not just start throwing people into, yeah, 10,000 steps a day and, you know, gym every single day for an hour, blah, 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 hit sessions every day. But, you know, as long as we facilitate a more nutritional food environment and some form of physical activity compared to their usual baseline, people might find that actually it's almost a struggle to actually eat that amount of calories. If, like, you know, if you go from like a high processed uh, junk food diet to suddenly increasing your fruit and veggie intake, eating more single ingredient foods, like you can still have things like, you know, curry, etc. But it's now homemade ingredients, etc. Bear in mind, like I'm talking from a place of privilege where people can do that. But let's just say if people was able to facilitate that kind of food environment, they might actually realise, Jesus Christ, like 
I'm getting fuller a lot quicker than when I was on like a high processed diet here. You know, it's actually a struggle to meet my my, my, my caloric needs while still being in a deficit. Like that, I have found that with uh, clients where like we've completely changed their food environment and their their eating patterns have increased their you know fiber intake, their protein intake. Yeah, and they actually struggle to get that amount of calories in. I think the same as well. Which is why you speak. As I was thinking, um, one of my clients, we they actually found that. They, I got them to eat more food basically because we looked at their actual what they were doing and what we found was there was a lot of space where they were overeating at certain periods because they just weren't eating enough like during the normal day or like during sensible times. So what we did was we actually found that you should eat more but we're going to make it you know better foods and more sort of spread out around your activity and stuff. And what we've actually found is that they were like you want me to eat more but I want to lose weight. I'm like yeah bear with me uh-huh. and what we found is people are now saying to them oh you look stronger you look more you look you look you, you know you look you put muscle on so they've actually built lean muscle which is obviously the good thing you want yeah. um and they feel better overall but i've actually got them to eat more which is they're like mind's blown it's amazing and what you just said there as well about like kind of eating earlier in the day as well so look as we said seco calories in versus calorie out is the main it, well it is the driver for weight loss you know or fat loss even but I, I I do think it's fair to kind of say from the research I've seen that when you eat can play an impact. Uh, I mean, I have seen some research that shows that groups that kind of had like a majority of their calories earlier on in the day, so breakfast, for example, whilst keeping a high protein tend to lose more fat than those that kind of save their calories for later on in the day. And I think that might be due to like yeah, the high protein in the morning where it kind of might mitigate things like snacking later on. And just like going a bit overboard with their calories in the evening. And who's to say, like, if you know you were to have a lot of calories later on in the evening, where you kind of got a heavy stomach, it might affect your sleep as well, which I know we're going to go into more later on as well. But yeah, sleep will pay an important factor, as we'll speak about much later. I don't want to jump the gun. Another point, Tom, as well. Let's let's also think about the point of people eating earlier. Okay, let's say we're talking about people who who want to get active, they want to go to the gym. Let's say they go gym straight after work. If they're then consuming the majority of their calories in the evening, it's like, well, you're not doing it in the evening. Most people just sit on the sofa and do fuck all. If you're eating earlier, you're then filling your body with fuel, ready for activity. You can hit your activity yeah. harder, which then might burn more calories, which is then obviously going to age you more. But if you're not eating anything during the day and you're obviously eating after, you're eating whenever you're you even going to be able to put in the effort for physical activity. Yeah, exactly. Are you even going to be able to put the effort in if you've got nothing in mm. your system? Probably not. So all these little things add up to make a difference, which is the, the one we were talking about by eating a little bit earlier, potentially. Yeah, totally. I would agree with that. You don't have to, but it might set you up more for success, possibly. Something we also need to talk about, Tom, this is um, something you pointed me towards uh, a little article in a research paper was, does your metabolism change with weight loss? Okay. Yeah. Um, and essentially, what we found was is that as you lose weight, you do tend to burn less calories. Um, it's kind of like a way of your body to protect yourself because like the body obviously doesn't want you to go into fucking like, it doesn't want you to lose too much weight because it's a protective thing, isn't it? Um, and what they found was the effect has been estimated to be uh, be around a decrease of 30 calories per kilogram of weight loss. So if you, let's give you an example. If I went from 100 to 90 kilos, then you could say I'm going to expend 300 calories less per day if I'd not lost that 10 kilos. Yeah. Okay, which is quite a lot. So if you're in a deficit like that, um, and then this happens to you, you're actually going to then plateau, which is what people mm. does tend to happen. Um, and if we get evidence based for a second, because I'm fully aware this series is not all about evidence, but we have got some. We've got a paper here from Polydory 2016. Um, <laughs> and the takeaway is that 
you'll burn less calories as you get lighter. Okay, this also supports that point. But this is a really important statement I want to read out because Tom, you shared this on your story as well. And is, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll quote it here. So the few individuals who successfully maintain weight loss over the long term. Uh, long term, I like again. it. I, just, I like called it. you Tom. <laughs> The few individuals who successfully maintain weight loss over the long term do so by heroic and vigilant efforts to maintain behavior changes in the face of increased appetite, along with persistent suppression of energy expenditure in an omnipresent, obscene, what's that fucking word say? Obsegenic <laughs> environment. Obsegenic. Obsegenic environment. There we ah. go. Fucking hell. Mind, mind blown. Permanently subverting or countering this feedback control system poses a major challenge for the development of effective obesity therapies. A couple of things I want to quickly jump in with there. First of all, is about the obesogenic environment. Once again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier about we want to kind of have like a supportive environment. Dare I say that, because we live in a society, Bill, the odds... Oh, you've ruined it. I thought we weren't going to say it in a series. I thought we weren't going to fucking say it in the series. We agreed about this. We, we're, two, we're, two, we're two fucking episodes in. Bill, we if you're expecting <laughs> promises for someone that... Like, look, I currently look like a drunk, failed lawyer. I started off looking so smart, and now look at me. Yeah, you do. I actually. like... Yeah, it does look like yeah. I've lost a big case. Like, better call Saul. You know, better not call Saul if he looks like this. But yeah, going back to a besogenic environment, we we naturally, like... Especially if you like living like an urban area where we're constantly pelted with, like fast food environments or offers as well we've spoken before about like bog off deals and like uh delivery you know, Uber Eats. Eats, delivery it's so people talk about like um mm. oh like uh it's because of sugar that obesity is like the way it is etc so well not really it's just that you know we have kind of developed as humans to have everything more kind of on our doorstep we we no longer like hunter gatherers you know we're not constantly burning activity eating one bear a day or whatever it was we're not a bear but you know you know we can have food delivered right to our door so you know activity does tend to like not be a survival thing anymore you could literally live on your sofa not i'd recommend it but yeah like we're constantly we're 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 surrounded by an environment where highly processed foods are constantly like pushing our face you see what i mean which is actually another reason why I try not to demonise food, which I'll go more into later on. Uh, another thing is just kind of talking about like um, how metabolism will slow down a bit. As you begin to lose weight, yes, your metabolism will go down. But have you ever heard of something called the starvation mode? Yes, I've heard of that. Starvation mode is still something that's kind of perpetuated, especially amongst like the keto Z lots and like anti-weight loss crowd, etc. But it's like... Look, starvation mode isn't really a thing, depending on how you kind of view it. The usual uh, narrative I hear is that, oh, eventually your body will just simply stop burning calories because it doesn't want to. That's not necessarily the case. Simply just because you now have lost a fair bit of mass, your body doesn't need to burn as much fuel to operate it anymore. It's a simple case as that. You will still burn calories, but what you might need to find is you might need to go back and recalibrate your new calories that make sense. So before, you might have been burning, I don't know, 2,000 calories just through your basal meta uh, metabolic uh, rate or your metabolism, let's just say. But now you've lost weight, you may now only be burning 1,800. So you might have to find out, okay, you've plateaued there, you need to go back and recalibrate. It's as simple as that and put you into a new deficit. Tom, like, I don't... <laughs> I really hate making this comparison saying that we're cars because obviously we're not cars. But like, if you think about it for people to understand clearer, is like if you get two cars, if you have a fucking massive lorry, 
it needs more fuel to fucking power yeah. it because it's bigger, isn't it? It's heavier. It needs a bigger engine, bigger thing. A small little car that's fucking weighs fuck all and needs less power, less fuel. If you transition to a smart car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need fu- exa- you're not, you're not going to need as much. You'll find that you won't need as much fuel to power or not much fuel, as much engine power, much fuel, all these fucking things to power it. So same with the body. If you're a big fucking bloke or a big woman, you're going to need more fuel to power it. Whereas when you start losing that, your body's like, oh, okay, I don't need to burn as much to power this machine anymore yeah. or this fucking body or this person so obviously it uses less that's the way i think about it no that's a fair analogy yeah that's fair point is you need to be it. you need to be reactive with it because a lot of people they'll get this number they'll go on these calculators they'll say okay my baseline is 3500 i'm going to put myself into a 300 calorie deficit they'll do that for six months plateau and go oh i've plateaued now I'll give up what they really need to be aware of is that they've probably lost some weight. Things have probably changed. A lot does change at that time. You need to be reactive and constantly reassess, constantly be aware of what's going on. If your diet's changed, your activity's changed, maybe you're doing less activity now. Or maybe this is a case of you've lost quite a lot of weight, body's now not expending as much, but you've kept the same figure, which means you're now at a baseline, which is why you're no longer losing weight. So you've got to constantly readjust. I'm not saying weigh yourself every fucking day. We'll come on to weighing yourself. That's an important topic. But you just need to be constantly aware. It's a hard process hence why this statement was like look to do it over the long term it's quite a heroic and vigilant effort as dramatic as that sounds but it's true it's not fucking easy um it does require quite a bit of hard work and that is why pts that's why pts exist because doing it alone can be quite difficult and because uh because it is hard work that's what we want to try and do as much as we can to try and make it as effortless as possible as I said, we, it's not going to be effortless, but we're going to try our best to try and take some of the the constant feeling of dread away. You know, the constant awareness of oh my god, I'm in a I'm in a deficit. Oh my god, I'm dieting. So we'll move on to some more action points now. So I mentioned a food diary at the start, um, and a really good way to sort of kickstart something you can do straight off this episode is start your little food diary. If you use My Fitness Pal, or if you want to go hardcore with pen and paper, and do it for two weeks. Okay be fucking brutally honest and a good way i can make this really easy for you is log it before you eat it it's very easy to start eating shit and forget and then forget to log it and you go fuck what did i have earlier how much did i have if you log it before you've even eaten it you know it's already in the bag it's already it's already logged you've already got it tracked yeah you're good to go banking it banking it yeah banking it exactly um and then what you can do is you can have a look now tom i think we should probably discuss some common things that might stick out in a food diary uh something people should be aware of um one thing as i, I kind of alluded to earlier was people who have during the working day they have fuck all um, and then they consume all their calories um, later on that's something that normally sticks out quite quickly and when you see things like that anything you see stick out let's say i don't know you're having super dense foods let's say you've got a high fat diet not saying fat's bad but fat does contain more calories than carbon protein these things you can notice. What you then need to do is really sit down and ask yourself why you're going for these foods. What are they giving you? Why are you choosing these options? Why are you eating all your food at the end of the day? Once you understand the why behind it, you can then look, you can then sort of think of a solution. Let's say the reason is the reason I don't eat during the working days because I'm so fucking busy and I haven't got time and I don't want to go out and spend money because I can't afford to on fret a fucking Monje, fucking Tesco meal deals, whatever. So there's your problem. There's your there's your why you're having all your foods at the end of the day. Then you need to think, what is the solution? And that is where obviously behavior change comes in. You might have to start prepping meals, preparing meals, giving yourself more options and stuff. Yeah. And- I mean, having these honest conversations with yourself or with a coach, you know, it is a big part of it because it's through self-reflection. Some people might have an accountability coach. I mean, a lot. some people who go to personal trainers for weight loss might want it for the accountability aspect, but you're going to see that from one of two different ways usually. 
One is the financial aspect where it's like, oh, well, I'm paying for a personal trainer, so I need to be accountable. Since I've paid for it, I might as well use it. Or the proper way of accountability, which is actually your trainer is talking with you, guiding you, and actually listening to you as well. But then they're also going to give follow-up questions, and that is to help you self-reflect. Because sometimes you might not even know where you're going wrong or where you're even going right sometimes until you've kind of been asked that question. It makes you self-reflect on your choices. So, yeah, kind of like, as you said there, like, uh, well, let's speak about why. Just simply saying why. why. Why are you eating most of your calories in the evening? It's an open-ended question. Rather than being that kind of PT that just starts going, oh, you're doing this because X, Y, Z, and that's going to lead to this and blah, blah, blah. Just, just be simple with it. Why are you eating all your calories in the evening? And then actually let the client or let the person, let the human being, the individual actually answer for you because they know at the end of the day and that will help them self-reflect. It's that honest conversation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And something we've spoken about in the past actually is you find people are more likely to sustain a choice if they if it comes from them, from within almost. Because if I just tell you, Tom, eat this, Okay, great. You're going to eat that. But if I then get you to make that decision yourself and go, okay, what other yes. options could we go for here? Let's say you're having loads of, you're having really fatty meals, loads of fatty meals. If I say to you then, okay, how can we reduce the fat? Like, what, what would you rather have? That's maybe a bit different. It tastes, you know, it's a similar meal, but it's got less fat in. What would you maybe go for? They start thinking, they make the decision, they're more likely to stick with it. So this is another reason why I have an issue with those uh, body transformation packages, the six week, the 12 week, because usually it's a template and it's monkey see, monkey do. But you're not actually having the. You're not actually being treated like an individual. They're telling you what to do in this uh, package, but they're not actually sitting you down treating you as an individual because you're on a timeline. It is no, no. You need to do this. You need to do it now. Mm. Whereas they're not actually going through any kind of stages of change, yeah, or behaviour change therapy, or actually just getting you to self-reflect. That's one of the issues why I have with these. Uh, I have an issue with like, yeah, packages where it's like oh, you, you're guaranteed to lose weight in twelve weeks by just following this plan, etc. You don't actually learn anything along the way. Once that plan's gone, all right, you might have learned a couple of things, but is it sustainable? Probably not. Uh, we're talking quite a bit about mindset here, really. Um, so I think we should look at some stuff here, which is kind of hopefully going to enable a bit of mind, mind shift change for you, because a lot of things that people don't think about. Um, and I think the first one we should start with is something we have spoke about, and that is good and bad foods that language because we don't like to use it i don't like using the terms good and bad in most health and fitness conversations simply because it's there's a positive and a negative connotation behind it people automatically go black or white with it and it's not that simple i mean look this is a bit of a a minefield here because the goal is realistically we do want to try and mitigate highly processed less nutritious foods that that is the goal but we have to be careful with how we word it. So I do not like to label foods as good or bad. However, there are more nutritious foods and there's less nutritious foods. There's also foods that might be lower in calories but higher in volume, but there might be some foods that are higher in calories but less in volume. It doesn't necessarily mean that's bad. all comes down to kind of like the nutrients that are available and your relationship with food as well. The main reason why I would not want to label foods as good or bad is, and you're going to have to bear with me here, Bill, because (laughs) this is where it gets a bit Gucci. We have something called a reticular activating system. And basically it's the way that we can become, uh, hold on to your pants, but we can become very aroused by certain cues and signals. It's when you become hyper aware of something. And it's, it's kind of like in the same sense as what we talk about pain science 
if someone is constantly making you aware that, oh, if you bend your back like that, you're going to hurt it, or, oh, your technique's really bad, it looks bad for your back, isn't that really bad for your back? Or the way you're slouching, isn't that bad for your back? What's going to happen? You've aroused someone's mind process, so to speak, so that they're more likely to actually feel back pain because you're constantly drawing attention to it. Now, if I told you, Bill, to ignore the colour green, how does that make you feel? It's a bit me saying night, mate. ignore the colour green. You've got a green screen behind you. <laughs> it's a bit, bit problematic today. <laughs> okay, but for the past five minutes, for the past five minutes, yeah. have you even been worried about my green screen? No. No, yeah, yeah. Probably Ooh. not. Well, he's done that. But now that like, I've yeah. told you to ignore it, you're like, fuck. It's there, isn't it? Do you see what I mean? It's like a Jedi mind trick. Now, the more we try and draw attention to food and saying this is bad, the more attention you're drawing to it. The more you're going to focus on it, the more willpower you now have to spend to try and ignore the 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 the, the, the ghost that's in the room. So you imagine that someone's told you you need to avoid biscuits. Don't eat biscuits. Whatever you do, do not eat biscuits. Biscuits are terrible. Do not fucking eat them, no matter what you do. They'll make you explode. You go into the supermarket and biscuits on offer. Oh, shit, biscuits, they're, they're really bad for me. Straight away, you've drawn your attention to them. But it might be the case where if you would not drawn that amount of attention and focus towards biscuits in the first place, you might have even walked by with your trolley and not even realised they were there. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So when we say we're not, we, we don't want to demonise food. It's not us saying you should just go and eat whatever you want. That's not the case. But what we're actually trying to do as a secondary objective is we're actually trying to make it a point where you're not hyper focused on certain foods anymore. Because willpower is a finite source. You know, it's finite. It's it's something that will eventually run out. So we don't want to draw your attention to the certain bad foods because the more you're trying to avoid it the more your focus is drawn on it the more attention you're paying on it. eventually that thing's gonna be on your mind you're just gonna give in and that's when you'll relapse and you're binging on those things and it comes down to the binge restrict cycle which is a whole beast by itself have you ever been in the same room as someone you absolutely cannot stand that you hate oh yeah absolutely and that's the only thing you can think about this motherfucker i'd love to throw a chair at him and you're just, you're just trying to have a good, I don't know, you're at a, a party or something. You're just trying to have a good time. But all you can think about is murdering this person because that's all your focus is on and you can't enjoy yourself. It's like going to a nightclub and seeing your ex there. Suddenly yeah, you, you can't even like yeah. have a good time now because all you're doing is wondering where she is. She's there. She's she's somewhere. She's on the other side of the wall. Do you know what I mean? So that's uh, the reticular activating system. We're trying not to put foods as good or bad to stop us from drawing our attention to it. I did say hold on to your pants, now you see why. <laughs> we spoke a lot there obviously about the, the bad side of things with that being aware of, of the, the, you know, the, the stuff you talk about there. But if we also look at it from the good point of view, something I think is worth touching on is that people always talk about, oh, you shouldn't call food, foods bad, you shouldn't call foods bad. And then they say, what's the harm of calling something good? You know, if it's healthy, it's good. The problem I find is that certain foods now get labelled as good. And if we look at it from a strictly weight loss position, if you're saying, oh, these are good, it sort of then gives these people uh, a sort of an, an invitation to overconsume. So let's say people say avocados, superfood, really healthy eggs, superfood. If people then start smashing yeah. shitloads of avocados and eggs in a weight loss situation, they are calorie dense. They're nutrient dense, but they're calorie dense. So then you're going to run into a few problems on your weight loss journey. Same with like salads. Salads are good. They're healthy. Some salads have as many calories as a fucking Big Mac. If you're drizzling it in, you know, oils, etc. 
But in a, so in a strictly weight loss setting, it's problematic to call it good or bad because yes, good some foods that you'd class as good are nutrient dense and you know they're good to consume. But if you're then saying good, you then get this trick in your brain thinking, well, I can have more of it then because it's good for me. It's a good food. It's fine. It's healthy. I can have more of it. So if yep. you're smashing loads of salad, loads of avocados, loads of fucking oily fish, whatever, they're high in calories still. And at the end of the day, I know it's not all about a calorie deficit, but calories are the mechanism behind it. So if you're over consuming oh, calories, calories are keen at the end of yeah, the day. <laughs> if, if you're over consuming them because of these good foods, you're not going to lose any weight. So this is why we need to avoid using good or bad um, and just be more. This is the crux of it. There's no good or bad. Yeah calories are king in the day opt for nutrient density but don't kid yourself don't kid yourself if someone says sounds good or bad don't kid yourself of it okay try and forget about it you can over consume on dare i say clean eating mm, yeah, just yeah. as much as you could over consume on highly processed junk i want to i want to f- do the throwaway term moderation is key <laughs> yeah the classic one moderation yeah exactly and that's why that leads us quite nicely onto this next point of you don't need to suddenly start cutting things out. People, what they do, and this leads back to that good and bad thing, is when they first start, let's say you've got your food diary, you two weeks, they look at it and they'll go, oh, all these foods are bad. And they just suddenly cut everything out they think is bad. Anything they think is not clean or bad or, or, or good, sorry, they'll cut it out and get rid of it. Yeah. This does not fucking work because you are then miserable. You're then going to struggle. You then go through what Tom was talking about. And obviously you talk about, um, you know, behavior change, habitual change. If you do everything all at once, it's very, very difficult to sustain. And the thing is, every time you make a change, it's a new behavior you have to kind of wrestle with. And it's a new thing that you have to find resources for to motivate yourself to not only deal with this change, but then to maintain it when that change happens. Now, the more things you try and throw into the pot, that's more resources you've got to try to spend trying to maintain that habit and to try and juggle it. And we're not even talking about any barriers that might affect each individual habit yet. So this is why it's, you know, we, we want to go slow. We want to make slow changes and give each time to, you know, give it time to rewire ourselves to make sure this habit gets ingrained within us that we can find ways to kind of like maintain this new habit and get over any barriers that may or may not appear. And then, okay, this is something that's ingrained now and I've got backup plans if something ever kind of affects this habit. Okay, let's go on to the next habit now. Micro habits, let's say, yeah, where you build right. it up into one big thing. Another point as well, this is more specifically probably to those who class themselves overweight going into obese, is that the reason people have got to that situation is because of they have built some habits which have enabled them to gain large amounts of weight, okay? If you then start cutting things out, it's not going to fucking work because them habits are there ingrained. You cannot just cut out a habit and it just disappears like that. So with those sorts of situations, cutting things out is the worst thing you should do. What you should actually try and do is look at changing the habits they've already got to better habits. So let's say they've got a habit of after work every day, they smash a large XYZ meal, which is very calorie dense, okay? And this puts them into like a big surplus or whatever. You then need to sit down and work out, okay, how can we change this? Because that habit of them doing it after work every day is ingrained. You can't just have to stop doing it. Yeah, just stop, stop going to that place after the, uh, after work every day, mate. That'd be easy. You need to then think of, okay, where, what else can we do instead? Yeah. Have you tried doing this? Have you tried opting for this option? Have you been to this place instead? Do you know what? There's also a discussion that you can't even, you can't even change a habit, but you could... Right, so, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. Actually, it's not you can get rid of a habit completely, but you can replace it. Replace it, yeah. That's the key. They're replacing the habit. That makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like habit stacking, isn't it? Habit stacking is another useful tool of where something you already do, you just add on. So Definitely. let's say one of your habits is to I don't know, 
after work every day, you decide, fuck it, I'm going to have a, a Krispy Kreme donut. You can then add another habit on of like, okay, after my Krispy Kreme donut, I'm going to take the dog for a walk or I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this activity. I'm going to do yeah. 20 push-ups. You're then stacking your donut consumption with 20 push-ups afterwards. So you're then increasing your activity. So you're not really changing it. You're not cutting anything out, but you're adding a little bit, but you're stacking onto an already existing habit, which makes it, it does make it slightly easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it makes it slightly easier because you're just doing something on top of something you've been doing for months, months, years, whatever. Just to clarify we're not recommended it in the sense that, you know, you're using exercise as a punishment. No, no, having no. Having no. donuts or anything oh, yeah, like should, that. Yeah, I'm not fucking, I'm not but clear, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where we're trying to, we're trying to kind of join certain habits together. You know, it's not like we're trying to cancel that one by the other, but it's something where we can combine it. So, okay, I mean, it's not I'm having a donut and I'm punishing myself with push-ups. It's simply a case of I'm enjoying a donut and I still get to do physical activity in that kind of regard. Yeah, we're not doing it as a punishment, but just trying to that you can enjoy the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the point we're just trying to make really is don't start cutting things out. That's really important. This mindset of cutting out all the fun foods and stuff. You'll see like celebrities talk about it saying, oh, to get in this ridiculous shape, I've got to cut all these fucking fun foods. Yeah. It's like, ah, do you know what? It's uh, Once again, it's a bit of a minefield. Cause it's like, look, if you know you've got certain trigger foods and it's like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I can have one, but I need to make sure I'm not buying packets of them and having them in the household. Or if you know it's it's a serious trigger food, it's like, okay, I'm not going to have it in the house, but if I do sit out and about somewhere, I'll allow myself to have one and it's controlled for. Okay, fair enough. What matters is that you're not having that environment where if you was to binge, it's not there and easily available. Do you know what I mean? But by allowing yourself to still have these things in moderation actually it loses that fear effect it loses that um it loses that stigma it loses that power it has over you so if you was like oh i cannot eat kit kats i cannot eat kit kats but it's like you go to the shop okay kit kats with my calories i'm gonna have a kit kat okay have a kit kat you don't have to buy a family size you know pack of them which you know you're going to demolish later on in the evening but just simply by having that you're allowing it and it's no longer the boogeyman. It's losing that. It loses that power it has over you of constantly having to be motivated to avoid it. I've allowed myself to have it. It's just food. You're, what you'll find is over time, as you improve on this health and fitness journey, you might not want the Kit Kat anymore. And that's why it comes back to that key term I said suddenly. Yeah. I'm not saying you, you can because never cut lost anything its out. Power over yeah. you. I'm not saying you, you won't cut things out because you might cut things. You might stop drinking alcohol, things like that. But what I'm saying is suddenly, don't do it overnight because, yeah, that makes things more difficult. You could do it over time. Do it slowly, changes here and there, um, and you will hopefully see more long-term success. Um, and we'll move on to one last sort of mindset shift. And this is something that's quite important is that a lot of people forget that when we're looking at calories and stuff is that you should always think of it as a weekly target as opposed to a daily target because over a day, every day is different and we can change here and there. Certain days can be more different. Things can come up, curveballs. If you've got you know a full family, a busy job, things can change. Whereas over a week, it's a lot easier to manage if you have like a weekly calorie target. So much easier to manage. Um, let's say you got a week. Let's say you got a barbecue on the weekend. You're probably going to overconsume on that day. If you looked at it as a daily target, you'd probably be really demotivated. Oh, I've had four thousand calories today. I'm a fucking letdown. I'm useless. I've failed myself. But if we looked at it weekly and said, okay, well, I didn't have that much on Thursday because I was on the road quite a bit. So I actually underwrote by like two thousand <laughs> or like a thousand, whatever. You've then got them. Them. Them ones have actually evened out when you've got to your weekend barbecues. You've actually not failed at all. You've actually done okay. I mean, you can, that's kind of like zigzagging or calorie cycling, where if you know that, like, uh, or calorie banking, where you know that 
Now, let's say you are tracking calories. By the way, you don't have to actually track calories. Don't get me wrong. It's probably going to set you up more for success. But if you find, you know, tracking calories is too stressful, then you can still enter a deficit without doing that. It just takes a bit more guesswork and a bit more, yeah, being more consistent with your eating patterns. And that. But let's say you are calorie tracking. You can definitely do something called calorie cycling, which is, you know, that like you have certain events coming up. So it's like, okay, well, I'll eat low on certain days so I can save those calories for, yeah, the barbecue. And you can still hopefully lose weight doing that. Because uh, as Bill said, we're more worried about the weekly intake as opposed to the day-to-day intake. One thing I want you to think about though, because I know I've recognised we said this, but I think it was Rini we spoke about was don't get into the habit of starving yourself to enjoy yourself like at the week like people who have this cycle of they want to go out and booze it up and have like loads of food in the weekend yeah don't get in the habit of starving yourself to enable these 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 activities okay that's not a good path to go down because you'll basically get into a binge cycle which is not very healthy okay so don't get into the habit of starving to so enable. when we say you're cycling we're not saying you're completely starving yourself for two days you know or having like an ultra low calorie diet for two days so you can blitz it on the weekend be a weekend warrior we're not we're not saying that at all you know but you could just modestly lower it like a little bit for like a couple of days okay guys next part of the show we're going to give you some ideas for implementation that can hopefully um, help you on your weight loss fat loss journey straight away and remember one step at a time we're going to rattle a few things off but do not try and do them all at once the best thing to do was to be tackle one at a time okay um, and the first one which is something you've probably all heard about before and that is increase water consumption now the reason i say this is a couple of things really it helps with hunger levels there's this whole thing of if you feel hungry mm-hmm. it's a little classic cliche your parents might have told you if you feel hungry sometimes drinking some water or fluids can alleviate that because your body sometimes thinks you're hungry because there's no, no water in there. So it'll, be, it'll send a signal saying, yeah, the hormones and the body say, okay, I'm hungry, feed me. And people sometimes just reach for food. Just drink some water. That can help. Another important thing is performance. Now, I think we, I'm not sure we spoke, I've spoken on the video. I'm not sure I spoke about it on the podcast, but um, the actual number uh, escapes me at this moment. But basically, I think it's as little as like 2% dehydration has like a huge impact on your performance, physical performance. So imagine if you're doing exercise to support your fat loss journey. If you're dehydrated by a little bit, you're going to affect your performance, which is going to affect your energy levels, how you feel. As we said, if you feel rubbish all the time, you're not going to want to maintain this fat loss journey, or you're going to be limiting your ability to burn calories during your exercise because you're not performing at your peak levels, you could say. So just by increasing your water consumption, can make a difference. I'm not going to give you an exact number because we're all different. But what I will say is whatever you're drinking now, unless you are, you know, 100% fully in yourself, you are smashing those water, drink a bit more. Add another glass maybe. Maybe set yourself a habit of, I don't know, glass when you wake up. That's always a common one, isn't it, Tom? When you get out of bed, have a glass of water. I mean, it's not like the be or end all, but it's still something you can try, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even having a drink with a meal. Yeah. You know. These are just, these are just small things you can add that I hope might make a difference. Uh, next one stress management now this one is a bit of a big one um it's quite hard to navigate in the way that stress is obviously very complicated for different individuals but the problem is is that food alcohol which is obviously calorie dense are normally things people turn to as coping mechanisms for stress 
Okay, mm. so there you go. Stress management, just not the way we want it to be. Yeah, not the way we want it to be. Yes, yeah, so you are managing your stress, but unfortunately, you're masking the stress by using these coping mechanisms. So what you need to do is really get to the root cause of stress. And we can go back to that whole thing of self-reflection. So you can you know, sit with yourself and think, okay, why am I stressed? How can I get around this? Or if we, I'd recommend going and listening back to the episode with Rory Brown. So that's chatshitgetfit.com slash Rory, uh, sorry, slash post slash Rory. I'll leave a link down below. Um, but that episode, he spoke about a lot of breathing techniques, things like that to really help with stress. Because if you are stressed, I think it was a quote he said, when you are, when you are stressed, you cannot think logically. And when you're on a fat loss journey, when you're over emotional, this is when people tend to reach for the Ben and Jerry's tend to reach with a large glass of wine, which is nothing wrong with that in moderation. But unfortunately, if you're co- if you're chronically stressed and you're reaching for these things on a daily basis, you are potentially hindering your fat loss journey. So managing stress is really important. But this is something you need to reflect on. Think to yourself now as an idea for implementation, am I stressed all the time? What's causing me to be stressed? How? How can I actually get rid of this stress? What, what are the solutions? What's in front of me? A little brainstorm. Mm. What can I do to get rid of this fucking... Obviously, some things are higher than others, but... I mean, stress can create a hormonal response. I mean, something we've not really spoken about is the, also known as the hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. Uh, leptin is what kind of makes you feel fuller for longer. There's a couple of things that can raise that. In fact, one of the things that contains leptin is actually having more fat storage, which is why when you actually decrease your body fat, you might actually get hungry because you've now got less leptin. Bit mad, isn't it? So already it's kind of like a losing battle. Um, but also ghrelin is the opposite where actually it makes you more ravenous. It makes you hungry and stress can increase your ghrelin levels. So yeah, stress is a big old factor. Yeah. And look, who, who hasn't fucking comfort ate? Do you know what I mean? But as we spoke about, like things like self-reflection, etc., or having like an, a self-monitoring, like an accountability sheet, etc. something where you can self-reflect and say, okay, what is it that's making me stress? Once again, wrap, relapse, assess, and plan. You can then figure out coping mechanisms, things that you can do that can actually, I remember, we're not actually getting rid of the habit, but we're now just replacing it. So we can think of different coping mechanisms, but you're only going to be able to do that is if you actually sit and say, well, why is this happening? And what is within my power? What is it within my environment I can do to change it and make it more supportive? Um, and two things that link on quite well from stress is sleep and increased activity because sleep has an impact on your stress levels. If you're really tight, if, you, if you're getting really shit quality sleep and shit yeah. durational time, it goes hand that in can, hand. That, that can impact your stress. So it's all linked there. So sleep is probably one of, I mean, I, I'm fully aware we bang on about sleep quite a lot on this podcast, but that's because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially a free recovery tool. And it's one of the best recovery tools you can have. An idea for implementation is work on your sleep. We've done a podcast on sleep, chatshitgetfit.com slash sleep. I've done videos, I'm not the train prime on YouTube. There are ways out there because I'm fully aware that some people cannot get the whole buzzword of seven to nine hours. That's fine. We all live different lives. It's very difficult for some people. But we can always work on the quality of our sleep. That is something that you can, everyone can try and do. There's always something, there's always all low-hanging fruits we can take advantage of to improve our sleep. Can I give you an anecdote? So from my own personal experience. So my sleep is genuinely terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. But the thing is, um, there's a couple of things. So one... I live on a cul-de-sac, so no matter what, I'm always getting light in the bedroom. I'm always getting light in the bedroom. So first thing the sun comes up, it's blazing through my bedroom. So it's very hard for me to kind of like not get sun in my eyes. I've also got two children 
that love to run and jump on me in the morning. So these were things I was finding kind of like hard to control. These were barriers. Do you see what I mean? These were barriers. These were things that weren't supporting my sleep environment. And it was kind of out of my control, or I thought it was out of my control. There's nothing I could do about my kids. They're absolute nutcases. They take half their dad. But one thing I self-reflected on and I made a change with, okay, look, I can't control the sun. Okay, so I now have a blackout curtain and I bought a cheap sleep mask. And for me, that's that's done wonders. It's something that was able to do that was low effort. I actually wear a sleep mask at night. It, 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 okay, I might not be able to get as much sleep. You know, I might not be able to get more sleep, but I've actually improved my quality of sleep because I've now got less light coming into the room. So for the hours I do get, I get more of a quality sleep. I can go into a much deeper sleep simply because I've managed to block out the light. So do you see what I mean? So I recognise that there's some things I can't change, but there are some things I can kind of do. But I was only able to do that by sitting down and self-reflecting. And yeah, my sleep has dramatically improved since then. It's still shit, but it's still improved compared to its original baseline. Marginal gains is the sort of takeaway from that. Really important marginal gains. Manage expectations. Not everything has to be a huge route. Resounding success. Clawing for what I can. Clawing for the crumbs. Just don't have kids. Don't have kids. Yeah. Important thing to have. Don't have kids. (laughs) There you go. End podcast there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next one. Portion control. Now, this is really important because we've made jokes about this before about how bringing awareness to your actual portions because things like cereals, distortion. cereals, pastas are like the go-tos because if you weigh out portions of these, which we spoke about before, an actual portion of cereal or a portion of pasta or rice is quite small. Uh, but people have the tendency to fill what they have, okay? Like a cereal bowl, they'll fill the bowl out. So what you need to do, once again, bring awareness to this. Get some little scales and bring awareness to what portions should look like. Once you've got awareness to it, you'll be like, okay, this is actually what portion should look like because then when you know what the, when you actually know what it looks like, you're less likely to overconsume. And even then, if you don't want to do that, just use smaller plates, use smaller bowls to avoid you then filling up. Because if you have a big plate, yeah, you fill the fucking plate. If you've got a smaller plate, you fill it, but you've got less food on there. So I mean, like even if you don't want to lose weight by ultimately counting calories, counting calories for the first couple of weeks could still help before transitioning to just going lone wolf with it. Because in those few weeks, counting calories could be an educational tool. It kind of it can make you realise shit. So actually, this is what a portion of this looks like. Or this is where I've been going right. This is where I've been kind of going wrong. Do you see what I mean? It can make you realise that, oh Christ, I didn't realise that this particular food I was having was this high in density of calories. It doesn't mean that you've got to like cut it out, but it means that you need to be a bit more careful with your portioning. But at the same time, you might realise, oh my God, I didn't realise that what I have is so low in calories. Actually, I can make it bulk my food up with this more. So it's a bit of a double-edged knife. You get to realise, shit, bowl of Lucky Charms, that's an actual serving I didn't realise that a thimble of cornflakes was actually this many calories. But at the same time, you might pour out a massive fin of mixed veg and go, holy shit, that's really low in calories. So maybe I'm going to bulk up my dinners with that from now on. Do you see what I mean? It could be like a double-edged knife there. Yeah, and that that moves on to another really good idea that you kind of just touched on there was increase the volume of your stuff like vegetables because... Um, an example of a meal I have. This is really interesting. Yeah. It's more it's anecdotal, obviously, the website, but I have a dish that I have most weeks, and it's basically sausages or plant-based sausages, pasta, and broccoli, and then a stock. Okay, I, I, I cook the pasta and the broccoli in stock. It's a fucking yeah. massive, dense meal. It fills a bowl up huge, but it's still low in calories, really, relatively, because it's just basically a bit of pasta, loads of broccoli, and then a, a little bit of some lean sausage stuff. So. 
But the problem is, I whenever I eat it, I feel really full because it takes me longer to eat. There's a lot of volume there. So yeah. obviously you're chewing, constantly chewing, loads of volume, loads of stuff there. Your body's then thinking, okay, I've eaten a lot of food. It's that perception thing of there's a lot, there's a lot of volume That's going on there. That's the key word there, isn't it? Volume. Have you ever heard of the term eating less by eating more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. So it might sound really wacky to say that it doesn't make sense, but what we mean is actually you're eating more volume of food, but it's actually low in calories. So technically, you are eating more by eating less. But um, do you know what? It was actually, we, we said mentioned uh, Rene McGregor earlier on, and it was actually, really actually said that in the past, she's actually had like a, an oven pizza, but she's then gone and thrown her own vegetables on top of that to add more volume. You can do that. So even if you've got like a processed meal, but you you, you want to kind of like, okay, it's already kind of high in calories, let's say, because it's a processed meal. But you have got the calories where you can add more volume to it. Yeah, you can totally like, I do it sometimes. You know, you get those like ready-made curries. I get ready-made curries sometimes from Asda or Sainsbury's and I'll actually throw a load of mixed veg into that or I'll go and air fry some frozen parsnips mm. and chuck that in there just because it bulks out the food. But it's low in ca- it's relatively low in calories to add that to it. Plus it adds a lot of fibre. Fibre is a big one for weight loss as well. One last thing you can do. Now, this one really it, it applies to everybody, but obviously those who are in an active environment will benefit, you know, potentially benefit more, is increase your protein intake. Now, the number me and Tom love to spout is like the first port, port of call. This is obviously evidence-based. We're not just saying that. I'm pulling out of our ass. It's 1.6 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. It's a really great place to start. Um, and it yeah. will help literally most people listening to this will be able to benefit from that um, it's really good if you're if you're in a deficit and you're trying to obviously lose weight and you're in a gym environment as well the last thing you really want to do is lose muscle so by increasing your protein intake to those suitable levels you're going to mitigate that um, and what you'll find is you actually might find your body shape changes into a more desirable desirable outcome really uh, is what you might find so and obviously we spoke about protein before someone's making people feel a bit fuller for longer you know that that's some cases of that uh, and you can't really go wrong with increasing your protein intake really unless you've obviously got existing kidney issues or stuff like that but that's yeah. you know outliers but for the majority yeah. increasing your protein intake on this journey even if you're not going to the gym and lifting weights you're maybe just doing walking daily and lowering your intake of uh, certain foods still increase your protein you can still make a big difference yeah definitely on a daily basis as well. 1.6 grams per kilo body weight. Write that down. So yeah, there were some ideas for implementation there. Remember, they all do link um, and don't try and do them all at once. Um, a good thing is maybe just, you know, try and pick one a week. So a way I always try and do this, if I work with a client, if I get them to do any, implement anything, any changes into their lifestyles, I'll get them to do one one thing. We then tackle, we focus on that one thing for one week. I say, all we're going to do this week, next week, is we're going to do this. They might be like, it was hey. I'm like, yeah, that's all we're going to do. If they nail it that week, we can add. Yeah. If they miss a little bit, I'll be like, don't worry about it. We'll go again next week and we'll try again until we've really nailed it in. Because what you want to do is you want to reinforce these, these changes. If you keep trying to add stuff every fucking day, every single week, people are going to get overwhelmed. So you just want to focus on one thing at a time yeah. and then build on it over time. Oh, I couldn't agree anymore with that, mate. Um, you know, we're trying to reinforce these habits, these behaviours, and we're trying to see if there's any pitfalls or barriers along the way as well mm-hmm. yeah, so exactly. that we can change it. But yeah, like if you start throwing too much, as I said, like weight loss, a journey of weight loss is already a daunting task. We want to try and make it as less complicated as possible for them. You know, the more things we get them trying to do is more resources they've got to spend to try and be motivated to do these things on a daily basis. And once again, that is another reason why I hate these packages is because 
you know, these weight loss packages, the 12 week, etc. And I keep on going back to it. It's just because straight away, they want you losing the first pound in the first week. It's like, you've got to do all this stuff. Boom, here you go. Follow the script. So as we are evidence-based, of course, we are naturally going to bring up some evidence to finish a little segment. And that is the National Weight Loss Registry is basically, it's composed of data submitted from over 10,000 adults who have lost at least 30 pounds for a minimum of a year. Okay, so quite robust bit of data there and when we actually look at this data closely we can see some common behaviors that help those who are dieting and are successful so i'll read it out for you might be worth remembering these Um, obviously as we said everyone's different but this is a broad stat which has helped a lot of people so it might help you 98 percent of participants modified their food food intake in some way to lose weight 94 percent increased their physical activity with 90 percent exercising an average of about one hour per day so that's the increased activity piece. 78% eat breakfast every day. Obviously, breakfast is not a non-negotiable for everyone, but it does tend to help us. We spoke about earlier, we won't repeat that, but we spoke about earlier, eating earlier might help. 75% weigh themselves at least once a week. That's interesting. We will talk about that in a, in a, in a little bit. And 62% watch less than 10 hours of TV per week. Some really interesting points there. No, seeing that and seeing like uh, what set people up for success there, really, really good. I mean, yeah, first of all, 98% of people modifying their food intake, it that just simply has to happen one way or another. I mean, that could be through, yeah, just simply going into a deficit. But I'm going to assume it's mostly through changing their, their eating habits, whether it's what they eat, you know, what times they eat. It could be anything as they've somehow modified their food. Uh, the other one, physical activity, yeah, of course, the more physical activity you do, one, the more calories you burn. So, yeah, that's going to help. Two, it can also regulate appetite. That's something we've not really spoken about. But physical activity can regulate your appetite. And also, in some cases, it might even actually replace a habit mm. where some people might have just found they was boredom snacking. Now they're out, you know, walking, walking the dog. And it helps you sleep as well. As long as, long, as, long as you're not exercising, you know, 10, 10 minutes before bed, <laughs> as long as you don't do it like a smashing, you know, a four-hour bicep session before you go to sleep. But if you do exercise during the day, it can help sleep as well. So it's good. Um, yeah, 78% eating breakfast. What did we mention earlier? I have seen research that has shown people that tend to eat a high amount of calories and protein in the morning do tend to lose more fat than groups that tend to kind of skip breakfast. Uh, ah, 75% weigh themselves at least once a week. Um, we have actually got evidence to kind of suggest that People that do kind of more self-monitoring will have better results. Uh, I saw one paper where it was like, uh, I think it was actually from the Obesity Journal, funny enough. Um, I have to try and find you a link for that. But they had one group where they just went through a lifestyle change with someone. So someone sent them the resources, like this is what you do to basically go through a lifestyle change to lose weight. Okay, cool. But the other group, it was lifestyle change, so the exact same. However, they was also given the tools to self-monitor so like a check-in sheet, and actually found that the people that tend to do the, the self-check-in, bear in mind, this was a self-check-in. This wasn't even, oh, they had an accountability coach. They just simply had the tools to kind of make sure they were writing down their daily, you know, objectives, their habits, their their actual weight as well, their physical activity. They tend to stick to it more. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And I do actually, so with uh, my clients that the main goal is weight loss, I do try to suggest them, look, I can make you an accountability tracker on a spreadsheet here and I do recommend you use it because that is your feedback, isn't it? One, that is your, what did we say earlier, your self-reflection. Yeah. Looking at that tracker, 
your results is your self-reflection, but also you'll get to see a pattern. So you can look at things and you can say, okay, so things have gone really well this week. I wonder why. What's the things that I've been doing consistently here? Oh, well, my physical activity constantly for the past seven days has been at this, in which case I'll maintain doing exactly this. At the same time, uh, on my accountability tracker, I monitor people's hunger levels. So I've had it where people have been absolutely fine and out of nowhere a couple of days i've been really hungry okay well, let's go through your your tracking sheet your self-monitoring here and see where why you're so hungry through that i can then have a look and say well actually i've noticed that your protein your fiber has been really low on these days maybe it's that maybe we can change that maybe we can up that so you see what i mean you can kind of find clues and chop and change things to make sure that they're being more successful to try and get their you know, reduce their hunger levels. Um, 62% watch less than 10 hours of TV a week. Yeah, I've seen evidence to suggest that as well. I think it was an evidence, uh, I think the study I actually saw was uh, involving children, you know, right. where children that kind of like ate whilst they were watching TV, they didn't actually, do you know what? Mindful eating. Mindful eating, yeah. We want to be mindful when eating. Um, so yeah, it is recommended you try and eat without distractions. So that could be, you know, put your phone down, Put your Nintendo Switch down. Stop hunting for Pokemon on Pokemon Go. Stop vaping, Tom. You know, basically, <laughs> you're not distracting yourself. And a lot of that is to do with like actually taking time to realize you're eating. You know, realize you're eating. Actually, enjoy your food as well. Actually, savor it. Remember, we're not trying to punish ourselves here with food. We're trying to actually enjoy it. Mm. But um, even though there's other little things as well. Like uh, there's studies about people that tend to take more chews, will feel f- fuller a lot quicker compared to people who rapidly eat. You know, there's loads of little things like that. Yeah. Yeah, people that are slow chewers tend to get fuller quicker. You know, they don't tend to overeat as much. Well, it's that mechanical response, isn't it? You're, you're signaling to the brain, aren't you, eating more? Because obviously you're chewing, it's sending signals yeah. and you're eating. Digestion starts as soon as you start chewing. That's it, because p- this is why I always find, obviously this is anecdotally me speaking of, but if I have like, a solid breakfast compared to like a shake form breakfast i will feel fuller for longer after even if it's the same calories pretty much the same nutritional value i will find that i feel fuller for longer with the um solid foods that i've had as opposed to a shake and i just feel more satisfied yeah, and that is just down to, to it yeah because i'm actually chewing something yeah i think there is evidence to show that like um high protein like in an acute setting it can be very filling but for longer term, for a longer period, you're probably best off having some which you can actually chew it, from what I've seen anyway. Hey guys, I won't keep you long, I promise, but what a perfect opportunity as you are fully absorbed into this week's episode to quickly tell you about our mega amazing membership support platform thingy called Patreon. Um, Now, Patreon is a membership platform for creators. So what it allows you to do is subscribe to a membership tier, get some cool little bonuses from us, and you help support us. So by joining our Patreon, what you're really doing is you're helping support the running costs of this podcast, and you're going to allow us to do some cool things in the future, like hopefully buy some new cameras to really improve our video footage, potentially some more microphones in the future. I mean, even though these are pretty good for now. And something we really want to do in the future is add some you know, cool merch in there as well, but that's not free, is it? So all the money that goes into this membership platform is being put back into the podcast. 
And you also get some pretty cool things in return as well, such as some of you could be listed as producers of the podcast. You get access to any future Q&As we do. You get access to live podcasts, ones that aren't on Twitch. You could also potentially get a personal video from me and Tom um, thanking you, depending on which tier you sign up to. Uh, and there's loads of those more in there as well. So essentially, guys, head over to patreon.com slash podcast, and you'll be presented with three tiers. And the first one is the price of a cup of coffee every month. So yeah, hopefully we'll be chatting to you over there soon on the private Patreon feed. Anyway, let's get back into this week's episode. What we'll do is we'll move on to the final part of the show. And much like last week, we're going to do the same again. We asked our loyal, dear Instagram followers on the Chat Shit Get Fit podcast uh, Instagram a couple of questions and we're just going to go through these we're not going to go in detail on all of them but there are some that I think it's worth talking about and the first question we asked was hardest thing about losing fat slash weight and the first point I really want to talk about a little bit at the end is uh, it's it's very slow probably the amount of time and consistency it takes whilst you perceive minimal change now the reason I want to touch on this point is because something we spoke about before is that we are inherently negative creatures and we are very dissatisfied with a lot of our results. Um, and the problem is, over time, if you look at yourself in the mirror every day, you will perceive minimal minimal change. doesn't mean that nothing's happening, but this is what happens. So this requires a bit of mindset yeah. change of managing your expectations. Don't expect to see drastic changes day in, day out. It takes a long, long time. This is why people often find, you'll see a mate you have not seen for God knows how long, two years, and they'll say to you, oh, you look like you've put muscle on or you look like you've lost weight because you have perceived minimal change over a duration, but they've not seen you. So just be aware of that. I think that's really important. It's um, it's kind of like gaslighting yourself, isn't it? You're, you're, just, <laughs> yeah. you're not expecting change until someone kind of tells you. It's uh, Have you ever heard of the toilet paper analogy? It's like you're not going to notice if you take a single sheet off or if you take a few sheets off over the space of two days, you're not going to notice. But if you go in after about a week's time and that amount of toilet paper has been taken off the roll, the roll's going to look a lot smaller very suddenly. Mm, yeah. But you're not going to notice those gradual bits being taken off bit by bit. Um, this is where things like, so look, you don't have to, you don't have to weigh yourself in order to lose weight. Of course you don't. However, as long as you've got a good relationship with the scales and that you just see it as, you know, a simple way to measure data as a metric, then you can use the scales to see actually, yeah, the needle is moving one way or another to kind of monitor your weight. But there's other ways as well. Uh, there's um, waist measurements. However, the waist measurement is going to take a long time for you to start seeing differences. Whereas with the scales, you can see a difference after a week, you know, as long as you're tracking yourself more consistent than not. Uh, there's also progress photos, but once again, that takes time to kind of see. Uh, even clothes. Clothes is actually a really good indicator. Um, and actually, that happened with my missus. So my missus has lost quite a lot of weight recently, and she just kept on saying to me, like, I just don't see it, until she went and put on an old piece of clothing that she struggled to fit into before, and suddenly she could fit into it. And it's like, yeah, there you go. See, something has happened. It's just that you're you'll look at yourself in the mirror every day. You're not going to see the gradual change. It's funny you say that because one of my clients sent me a photo um, a couple of days ago, literally with them with their gym leggings on and they pulled it back and they got like, bloody, look at all this space I've got. And I was like, there you go. Like, just, these are, it's good sometimes to see, like, because they, some people have this, they, they feel a bit down sometimes, like they're not moving results. But seeing actual physical changes like that, you're like, wow, <laughs> like, I didn't even notice, but I've actually got space here like I never had before. And you're like, okay, it's incredible. It gives them a bit of a boost, you know, which is, it's nice to see, really good to see. Do you know what? You know, I was saying how it's kind of like gaslight, and that's going to sound horrendous, but yeah, it's like you're not going to notice the gradual day by day change. 
But if you just look at it from day one compared to day 30, oh, yeah. you know, you'll you'll notice a big difference. Mm, as always, yeah. like you have actually lost weight. But um, yeah, going back to the gas line thing, it reminds me of this office prank I once read where it was like some guy was uh, every single day, he somehow got access to his co-worker's computer. So every single day, he would change the font size by a single digit every single day until eventually the, the writing was miniaturized, but he, he just never noticed until it... And one day he was just like, he was wearing glasses, reading his screen, and like he'd shrunk the font size by like fucking <gasps> minus 10 or something. That's funny. Yeah, it was like a slow burn prank. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Like you won't notice yeah, it, you won't notice it on it, a day-to-day yeah. basis until you just compare it from day one to 30. The next one is lacking drive slash motivation due to low self-esteem linked to the weight itself. Weight doesn't define you as a person. You know, weight doesn't define you as a person at the end of the day. Um, I do understand that people can have um, negative emotional links to their weight. And, you know, it is what it is. If that is the case, then perhaps you shouldn't be worried about your weight. Perhaps there's other things you should kind of be looking into. I mean, look, maybe it's a simple case of where you need to kind of like get into fitness in a sense where it's completely weight neutral. You know, you can see that even at your, your size, like you're still capable of being able to perform in a physical setting, you can still improve your health markers. And if weight loss occurs to that, then okay. But if it's one of those things where it's like, no, no, look, you, you generally want to lose weight. You generally want to lose weight. Then it this is where I would say it would help to seek out a professional. But I, mm-hmm. I do mean a professional. I, and it's hard for me because I, I don't really want to suggest the average PT. But how do you know unless you're how do you know you're getting the average PT until you've actually got one and it's too late? But maybe someone like a dietitian or a nutritionist instead. But at the end of the day, like you are human, and I'm sure you're capable of many things that hasn't even got to have anything to do with your weight. Uh, next one, where to start? We won't obviously go into that. That's what this podcast has been made for, because hopefully it will give you an option of where to start. Uh, this next one, though, oh hello, we did touch on this a little bit. Controlling my insulin levels. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get the context of this from the person who sent it in, but obviously. If somebody is diabetic, yes, controlling insulin levels is a big part of that. But as you said earlier, Tom, there's a certain crowd of people who love to bang on about insulin as the main driver of fat loss. It's a bit hard to give my thoughts on this about the context of it. Um, Because obviously if it's for diabetic reasons, a whole different kettle of fish. Let's pretend it's not, Tom. if you are coming from the case of like, oh, you're worried about... If if it's to do with insulin in regards to driving weight up or down, um, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Unless you're actually insulin resistant, it's a serious health concern, you know, then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, yep. Uh, next one, being consistent, staying off the beer. Now, staying off the beer, once again, it's going back to moderation, doesn't it? We are in this culture, especially yeah. here in the United Kingdom, the culture is very much having a beer with the lads, you know, having a, you know, having a nice little brunch with the ladies and stuff. Once again, though, this also comes down to your supportive environment. Mm. If we're talking about a beer where, as you said, Bill, a beer with the lads... I haven't had a client before who was notoriously difficult because they would tell me they were strictly tracking, but then when I'd give them a bit more interviewing, I would then discover that it was another mad session with the lads. Do you know what I mean? It's like, look, if you're in that if you're in that environment, you need to find a way to kind of like one, either swap out your drinks for something that's a bit more maybe calorie friendly. Or two, knowing when to control yourself. Or three, just realise that, look, you like to drink and perhaps you just simply cannot focus on a weight loss journey at the moment mm. because you just simply want to be hedonistic. If that's your choice, that is your choice. 
But at the same time, if it's like one of those things where you just like the odd beer or two, it's like, look, you can definitely fit it into your lifestyle, but it still needs to be accounted for one way or another. Alcohol still contains calories. It's its own nutrient. Keeping motivated when progress is slow or stalled. Now that just comes down to managing expectations. We've already spoke about. I don't think we need to go into that too more. But yeah, managing expectations is really important and making sure you're reactive and adaptive with your journey and not just expecting one number to last for the rest of your life. This next one we spoke about. The mental blocks. Yeah, we've kind of spoken on that already as well. This one's quite interesting. Getting the ball rolling in the first place, setting up my fitness pal, changing shopping habits, etc. Straight away, that gives me an indication of you might be trying to think of too much because getting the ball rolling in the first place does not have to be overwhelming or complicated. You do not need to set up MyFitnessPal. You do not need to start changing all your shopping habits. The first thing you can simply do is become aware of what you're doing. Self-reflection. Why am I in the situation and why do I want to currently lose weight? What has caused me to get here? Nice and simple. You don't need to do all of these things to get the ball rolling. Mm, just one thing after another. Yeah, one thing at a time. And even if like... You don't have to go into it straight away expecting, okay, so I have set up my fitness pound. Now what? You haven't even got to go into it thinking, okay, I need to lose weight in this first week. You might simply want to purposely try and maintain your weight in the first week. Do you know what I mean? Just so you can start making other changes elsewhere. So actually, I'm going to maintain my weight this week, but I'm going to try increasing my physical activity one way or another, whether it be trying a new sport or going for a walk or trying a home workout or joining the gym or anything and it's like okay i enjoyed that maybe now i can purposely try and enter a deficit there's there's no right or wrong way to do this it just depends on you the thing is uh, weight loss is an individualized approach so it's not one of those things where i can say you need to do this do you know what i mean it's a bit of a difficult one to talk about on the podcast of course if you want more help on that feel free to get in touch uh next one not putting it back on again yeah that's kind of we've pretty much spoke about for most of the podcast is hopefully ways to avoid that happening because that is a tough one elephant in the room we still hear this whole 95 percent of diets fail rhetoric <laughs> as far as i'm aware that was like a, an old paper from the 60s yeah super uh, old. I, I do remember the the researcher's name it was a stunkard something stunkard ironically he actually years later came out and said yeah they should probably like i can't remember his exact words but basically he's surprised that that number still gets quoted because one it was kind of pulled out of his ass and the original paper wasn't really well quantified like they didn't really decide well what qualified as failing because a lot of those subjects still maintain some form of, okay they might have regained some weight but there was still plenty that had still lost some form of weight and kept it off compared to their original baseline. As you said, uh, we looked at the registry already and there's plenty of people who have maintained successful weight loss plus one year. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look, we do. We <laughs> it doesn't help that this industry does not set people up right for weight loss and there's a lot of misinformation. So who's to say that with the right amount of, one, support, two, education – and some form of behaviour change, which in my opinion is key to successful, sustainable, long-term weight loss, then people might be able to adhere to it more. And have Basically, better results. if you take on some of the points we've made in today's episode, there's a higher chance you will not put it back on again. If you do a 12-week summer body blitz transformation course with fucking John down the gym, there's a chance that afterwards you will put it back on again. Yeah, I have to be honest here and say, look, regrettably, the vast majority of professionals quotation marks within the fitness industry are not well equipped or educated enough to properly lead you into a successful weight loss or you know a journey for behavior change mm. 
They're just not well equipped for it. They're not well equipped for it at all. Okay. And the next question we asked was, what advice would you give someone wanting to lose weight? So once again, we're asking you guys what advice you'd give. Um, The first one is about the scales. So don't get obsessed with the scales. Weigh yourself once a week, same time, breakfast, post poop. Now, the thing I like about that actually is same time, because if you make it a habit, it's obviously a habit. It's going to stick, isn't it? If you do it at the same time every... If it's, let's say you want to weigh yourself once a week, once a fortnight, whatever, make it the same time. Don't do it sporadically, randomly times. The same time, not only one, is it going to become a habit, two, it's consistent because, as we said, there's lots of factors which can affect your weight. If you keep changing the time, you're allowing more fudge factor of those factors. So if you do it at the same time every single week, there's less going to be less sort of um, variance in those numbers yeah. and less chance for disappointment, let's say. I mean, let me go back and just say that, look, you don't have to weigh yourself. I understand that there are some people who develop bad relationships with the scales. However, if you're not one of those people and you are happy to use the scales, it is just a way to measure data. And that data can go up or down. Weight is going to fluctuate. You don't want to get emotionally attached to the scales or the number. But it does let you know, on average, on like a weekly basis where is that needle going up or down and that will let you know whether you need to make a new change to whether it be your physical activity the amount of calories you eat or whatever but yeah as bill said you want to be doing it at the same time in the same place as well and also the flooring matters you need to do it on a hard surface so don't be doing it on like carpet or you know line up i've i had a client uh, who recently the scales were going absolutely crazy up and down and we was like why is this happening when i kind of interviewed them a little bit more i discovered that they was doing it on the you know like lionel flooring yeah yeah in a but, bathroom mm-hmm. where it as soon as like weight goes onto those scales it sinks in it's too spongy so the scales were going crazy so yeah, you need yeah. to do it on a hard surface and yeah it just needs to be after the bathroom as well yeah. preferably and uh as less clothes as possible but look naked if you can something we said earlier as well if you are also going to the gym and doing lots of like resistance based training things like that just be mindful that the numbers might not be as dramatic as you think because if you're gaining muscle at the same time, muscle does weigh something. So just be aware of that, that you might not be losing as much weight as you thought, but your body shape could be changing. You'd be gaining lean muscle. You could be feeling better in yourself. So just be mindful of that. If you are doing a lot of activity at the same time, as Tom said, don't get emotional about the number. That's not the be all and end all. This is why I recommend having another backup for long term, which would be one, pictures, or two, waist measurement. Joe, what I actually, one thing I want to say actually, two things I don't recommend is bioelectrical impedance machines. That's those ones where they detect your body fat. They are notoriously inaccurate and so many things can interfere with those. And I'll be honest with you, in most commercial gyms, it's just a way for PTs to pretty much rig them and either shame you into thinking you need to do something or two, oh, look how much, you've lost 10% of your body fat in the space of a month. Well done. That's all due to me. Uh, another one is actually body fat calipers. Remember those uh, big, oh, yeah. massive tweezer things they used to pinch your fat folds with in school? Those depend um, very much on the skill of the user. I don't have a lot of faith in many PTs that use them. So I wouldn't, yeah, they could give you different results on three different occasions. So I wouldn't bother with those. So yeah, scales, tape measurement, uh, yeah, sorry, waist measurement, and uh, yeah, progress pictures and clothes. Clothes is a really good indicator. Next one, find something you enjoy doing and gather support from others on the same journey or professional. That's, yeah, we spoke about before, if you don't enjoy something, you're less likely to stick with it and having support from others can always be nice. 100%, 100% with that. 
yeah, doing something you enjoy, whether it be the gym or walking, something where you actually look forward to doing that activity due to the activity itself. You're not saying, oh, fuck, I need to go and spend an hour in the gym because I need to burn calories. No, you're going to the gym because you actually enjoy it, despite the intention of weight loss. And you're having, uh, especially if you have like a group around you where you have that support, social support group. Yeah, wicked. Great. Do something you enjoy. Hashtag CrossFit. The gym, CrossFit. I know you get a lot of people that kind of say, oh, it's awful for fat loss. Joe Wicks, blah, 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 whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, If it's something that you enjoy doing, that's going to keep you doing it, wicked. Crack on, whether that be spin, hits, the gym, CrossFit, walking, extreme canoeing, whatever. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck it, here we go. Look, there's always going to be one, isn't there? Herbalife. I mean, you've already said it now, so I'm just going to say it. We do live in a society, and Herbalife is a part of that society. <laughs> yeah. So you know when we're saying about those quick starvation? Yeah. Those quick starvation programs, uh, you know, where they get your picture on the wall and they fuck you off afterwards. That's what Herbalife is. Avoid Herbalife at all costs, yeah. please. <laughs> we could go way back and listen to our episode with Kez on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good episode, actually. Yeah, go listen to that. I think it's, um, I'm not sure the link is, but um, yeah, you'll find it. It's called Herbalife. So uh, next few, we've kind of already touched on a bit anyway, but um, it's good to reinforce them. Track, track, track. You'll be surprised at what you actually eat. So we spoke about that, bringing awareness to what you're already doing initially. You haven't got to track, but as I said, that initial awareness piece is really important. It can set you up for success. Next one is, uh, it's not a straight line. Weights will go up and down. Stick with it. As we said, manage your expectations, um, being aware that things change. Keep consistency and it and it's okay and it's okay to have a bad day. Just get back on it the next day. As we said, in a strictly weight loss situation, weekly calories are weekly, not daily. And then with other things in life, things are gonna change. So as long as overall you're being fairly consistent, you should be okay. We'd rather you be consistent than trying to be absolutely perfect all the time. Um but yeah, especially that like look, you're gonna have a bad day every now and again. It is what it is. But as I said, rap. So you're going to relapse at some point, but don't worry about it. You just go, okay, this has happened. What can I do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Or is there a way that I can notice patterns so that I can preempt when it's going to happen, notice it, and then actually stop it before it even happens? It's like, look, if if you was in your car and you had a flat tire, okay, it's frustrating, but there's no point in getting out of your car and stabbing the other three wheels. There's no point. It's uh, But that's, that is what happens is people fourth wagon go oh well I fucked it now I might as well go overboard I'll stop exercising or I'll just binge eat the rest of this xyz shit happens just learn from it what is it we say Bill feedback is failure utilizing that uh no sorry failure is feedback not feedback is failure my bad <laughs> but yeah understanding that okay something's gone wrong here what can we do to prepare and plan for next time so you want to lose weight and hopefully after this episode, you will have the knowledge available to go forward and maybe make some small changes. Even if you make one small change after this, that's all we want. That's what we're after. If you do need some extra help though, obviously depending on the time you're listening to this, me and Tom might be available. Feel free to get in touch um, and we'll, you know, we'll, have, we'll have a chat about things. Um, sometimes having a bit of help, having a bit of accountability and support can accelerate the process quite a bit so yeah don't be afraid to reach out but um if you've got unless you've got anything else to say tom i think we can wrap up there on another long episode of the brand new series yeah um here was long but i think we've covered the main points here yeah mm. yeah i think we have covered the main points you know as i said earlier on at the beginning of the episode like look weight loss isn't the absolute end goal of everything fitness 
and I understand that there's a lot of like stigma behind people who actually want to lose weight as well. If you don't want to lose weight, that's absolutely fine. And of course, you can get all kinds of health benefits from a weight neutral approach. But you are well within your right to lose weight and burn fat and change your appearance if you want to. There's no shame in that either. But at the same time, this industry is an absolute hellscape of misinformation. So it's going to be one of those things where you have to kind of like be patient make sure you're getting information from good sources and this is our bigger selves up here beyond so that includes us uh, particularly weight loss there's a lot of myths uh, a lot of pseudoscience behind it as well it does come down to seco energy balance basically you know consuming less calories than what you actually burn but yeah if we had to simplify weight loss is one to find some form of uh, way to get into a calorie deficit so that is going to be nutritional so what we're going to suggest is to try and increase your protein increase your fiber as well notice we've not talk, spoken about balancing your carbs and your macros and your fats and all that as long as you're increasing your protein intake and increasing your fiber through fruits and vegetables and picking up some form of physical activity that's a good place to start with but if you want to take the guesses out of it then you probably are going to benefit from some form of calorie tracking but i would also recommend to add on top of that some form of self-monitoring something where you can look over it and see the patterns that are developing. And yeah, just be willing to change habits. But behaviour change is a long old process and sometimes you do need outside help with that, whether it be through reading material or from a qualified coach. Or just listening to this podcast or repeat over and over and over again. But yeah, well, I think we've wrapped it up pretty yeah, well. Wrapped there, up. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, well, guys, only one thing really left to say and that is it's been a pleasure as always and we will speak to you on the next one. Joe, you know what? Take up smoking because one, you won't have any money to actually uh, afford takeaways. And two, it's a new habit that will keep you busy. <gasps> Goodbye. There you go. That's my advice. Bye. As always, thanks for listening. If you did enjoy the episode, we'd be very, very, very grateful if you could leave us a rating and or a review on your podcast app. So if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, there should be a little button where you can leave either a rating, so whatever styles you want. If you loved it, obviously give it a five. If you thought it was shit, give it a one. It's okay, you do what you want. But um, yeah, if you do do that, it does make a big difference for us and getting the podcast out there because as you know, it's a very saturated space um, and obviously we think the stuff we're putting out is pretty good so the more people we can reach the better so yeah rating and or review would be very much appreciated we will see you next week same time same place for a brand new episode what's <clears throat> a bit weird isn't it shall I do that again we will, we will see you next week same time same place for a brand new episode see you soon <laughs>